Welcome back, everybody. It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show, which means we are about to get into our uh, Bible study. Before we do, we have the 400-point question for our quiz. For 400 points, what city's name appears in the name of its biggest... Okay, okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What city's name appears in the name of its biggest resident, Goliath? Okay, okay. This is an interesting question, Shell. Uh, but 0491-064-669 is the number to call. Again, uh, well, basically, where is Goliath from? But apparently, this city exists within his name. So, yeah, 0491-064-669. That's kind of how six, people got named a lot of the time six, in those days. Nine. Epic stuff. And you will notice that a lot of, you know, even English names have mm-hmm. a last name that's named after a city because it mm-hmm. would be you know, Lawson of Newcastle. Sure. And so, you know, uh, a thousand years later, you'd be recorded in history as Lawso from Nui. Really? Yeah, it'd be something like that. <laughs> Anyways, how it would work. Uh, do we have text messages? We do have text messages. Let me just find them real quick. Uh, let me see here. This one says, I like this one. My husband agrees with Lyle about cats. He's saying if it's not in its yard, it should have a bounty on its head. Karen, Karen sends that one through. <laughs> yes. I've never met this guy before, but maybe he and I should go so bowling combative. together or something or other. So combative. Well, like, pers- like, like, I, cats are cool to hang out with. Okay, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with this post. And there are actually a number of councils that agree with this post because they have, you know, what's called the cat curfew. Some of them that is twenty four seven, and some of them it's just in the evenings. And basically, what happens is that yeah, there's a bounty on the cat's head if it gets caught outside of its house. It goes to the pound, and you have to go and bail it out. Rest in peace. Uh, if, if I was the council, I would offer you know two hundred bucks to bail your cat out, or uh, <laughs> sixty bucks to have it euthanized. But. You know. <laughs> <laughs> But you think that people wouldn't pay that? Like, like people pay Janelle. thousands of dollars for their for their animals. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and they need to look after them and take responsibility for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't let my dog wander the streets. Yeah, that's right. It uh, you know has done on occasions, wow, but good. that has been by accident, that's and I would be happy to deal with the consequences if it did. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that was. <laughs> <laughs> it's been too long since it's been too long since I've had a rant on cats. You must be due for one on Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, let's see what we've got here. Um, the racial and religious discrimination. Well done, Australia. Still, 103 victims is still not good. The mm. hijab uh, may not agree with it, but I am not the one wearing it. It is also a part of their faith. Unfortunately, mm. in many Muslim countries, Christians are not even allowed to wear crosses. We can be so thankful we live in a mm. in a country that is, you know, even though we might not have legislated religious liberty. For the most part, we have religious liberty in practice mm-hmm. on so many of these issues, and we're just the kind of society that hasn't made an issue over these kinds of things. Wow. Uh, we're starting to make issues over other things, which is why we need to have uh, positive protections for Christians and people of, not for Christians, for people of faith, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly not something that's been a part of our history. Okay, so social media controls government, social media controls and government control. Great idea. But considering what governments have done to their populations the past two years, I'm just as concerned. Pretty sad when people lose faith and don't trust the government. Let's face it, I just said what millions are thinking. Example, 
the massive rallies. And this is an interesting one because you get, you know, your anti-trolling legislation, which is going through with bipartisan support, and you, you know, they're saying, oh, we should add this and this and this to it, which are all good suggestions, but then you look at that anti-trolling legislation. Is it anti-trolling or is it pro-controlling? Is it anti-trolling or uh, anti-defamatory um, towards politicians who are criticised? Yes, because because this is the thing. This is the thing. Because this is something I've been following. It's a, it's a, this quite. is this is a nightmare of a you know because basically once you've got that legislation through, it's like well you can define whatever you want in whichever way you want to shut down free speech. That's right. Um, this is something I've been following quite closely. Um, I, I find it really interesting. Um, and like yes, in in principle, uh, anti trolling legislation and the the application that they're sharing it to be in, you know, f- to help children and kids online not to be exposed to terrible things or bullied or whatever it may be, like is fantastic. We don't want kids to be bullied, like, and they want to be able to track down the bots and shut down the bots. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. But when the part of when part of your legislation is that you have the ability to add, um, copy and delete anything, we, like add just. Add that 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 word right there. That is scary. And delete, add and delete anything from anyone's profile if it is deemed as harassment. Um, this is the thing. It all comes down to your definition. Yes. And furthermore, um, if you look into the kind of the, into the, the nitty gritty of where the rubber meets the road of this legislation, um, you can add, copy, delete. You can take uh, control, as you know, the government can take control of your accounts before the warrant that's put out to assess, you know, whether what you've said is harassment before it gets approved. So they put in a warrant and then they take control. And then if the warrant gets rejected, then it's like, oh, well, whoops. They haven't put, made any legislative yeah. framework and for there's that. And no, there's, no, there's no, you know, reimbursement or whatever for, you know, the time that your account was hacked for by the government. Uh, yeah. And, and ultimately... Um, no wonder this thing has bipartisan support. Legislation like this has only that has been that has been given to you know so-called protect people and protect our young people online has historically only been used to attack people who criticize the government. Yes. So yes. so like so in it's practice and in legislative like in legislative terms in practice terms like in all of it like. I personally don't think this is a good thing, and it's actually setting up a, a scary uh, future with the you know limiting the ability for people to have free speech. There are aspects of it that I think are good. Yeah, I think sure. the parental controls. Yes. I think the oh, obviously, um, yeah. You know, parents being able to monitor their children's activity online. Mm-hmm. I think um, the devices and the apps coming with default settings that are set to parental controls. Mm-hmm. You've actually got to go in and change all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. I think there's, I think there's a good things. I think there's a whole bunch of good yeah. things in it. But yeah, as you say, this is um, very Revelation thirteen ish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you look at the rest of the legislation, coercive there. and controlling. Mm. Okay, I wonder how long it would take if foxes and cats didn't kill so many animals to take over for animals to take over the world. Two point six billion per year equates to twenty six billions in ten years. I suppose that's why God made scavengers. There's a fine line in balancing the issue. Oh, that's interesting, Lyle. What are you going to do, huh? I'm going to say this: the uh, ecology here in Australia was finely balanced. There wasn't a problem with it. It was in good balance before we had foxes and cats, and it's now out of balance. Oh, and so if you get rid of your foxes and cats, it will go back to its original balance or closer to its original mm. balance that it had before, and we will have you know a whole lot more native animals for sure, mm-hmm. uh, but we will not have 
but that's actually going to be a positive thing for mm-hmm. our continent because that's what you know has developed in our continent yeah. over the last four thousand years. But think about it. Like if you have all those cats, didn't we just have like a mice plague? Like if the cats take cats had no no impact on it. Basically, what the mice plague did was that it created an explosion of cats and foxes. Oh. So, yeah. yeah. Sad. Didn't work. Sad. Didn't work. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Stress and suicide, natural disasters, two years of COVID-19, isolation, forced vaccinations, mm. lose your jobs, uh, alcohol, drugs, abuse in family and friends, wars and rumours of World War Three. Many are pointing at weather control, etc. If that isn't enough to stress the population, what is? Uh, Satan's plans are working, but God will halt it sooner than we think. Anxiety problem? Go to the Father, our Lord Jesus. He will hold you, surround you with his arms and love you back to health and give you peace in an mm. uncertain world. He truly loves you. Mm. There you go. Great stuff. We should get into our Bible study. Thank yep. you for sending those text messages through. Uh, as we launch into Hebrews chapter 11, uh, some of you have sent in your votes for who your favorite person of faith is. I think we've had Paul, we've had Enoch, we've had... Uh, a couple of other people, I Hosea, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Mm. had a few different people. Uh, we want you to pick someone actually from Hebrews chapter 11, so Jesus. jump in there, read it, <laughs> and pick who is your favourite hero of faith. Shoot us a text message, 0491 Tell us why. Yeah, my favourite is God. Okay. God, God is my hero of faith. Great. <laughs> All right, so we read about Abel. Abel. We got started. I'm a little bit worried. We've got three days to get to the end of the chapter. Yeah, like we <laughs> we did one day. We, we did one person yesterday. Let's do a second one. Uh, let's go and do verse five. Verse five. So the Bible says here, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken, he was known as a person who pleased God. There you go. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. And it was impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Mm, Just a text message coming through real quick on uh, our discussion on social media. Bruce has this to say, uh, legislation, man can't solve their own problems. We always mess it up. So true. You know, we create one piece of legislation and it creates so many other problems and we we try and you know start sticking band-aids and amendments all over the place to try and mm-hmm. fix all of those problems. You know, you you create an anti-discrimination legislation and it discriminates against somebody else. That's right. You know, mm. there's no such thing as a world free of discrimination mm. uh, because yeah, you're discriminating against people who like to discriminate. Mm. You know, even in that one statement. It just, you know, it's a, it's one of those things that doesn't work. Uh, man can't solve their own problems. We always mess it up. We need God to solve the problems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are better forms of government. There are worse forms of government. I think we live in under one of the better forms of government, but they are all human governments, and none of them are ever going to be perfect, and ours is imperfect also. Well, let's get back to Enoch. Let's talk about Enoch. Yes. What can you tell me about Enoch? Uh, he was a guy. Yes. What else can you tell me about Enoch? He lived for a while. Yes, about 300-plus years. Yep. Uh, he was walking around on the earth, mm. and then all of a sudden he wasn't. Mm. And that's it. And, and where did he go? He went to heaven. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's about all we know about Enoch, wasn't yep. it? From the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously a very righteous man, and somebody you know that God 
takes to heaven from before the flood, from the antediluvian race. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very significant because, you know, we have a couple of people that are taken to heaven, Elijah mm-hmm. and Moses, after the flood, are taken to heaven. Elijah as a forerunner, a first fruits in, well, not the first fruits, but one of, uh, in, in a way of those who will be translated without seeing death. And Moses, as an example of those who will be resurrected from the dead, mm. uh, then we've got one from before the flood just to show that, yes, the world was exceedingly wicked before the flood, but there are going to be people in heaven from that time wow. as well. Mm. You know, the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually, but there were exceptions and Enoch was one of them. Mm. Antideluvian, bro. This guy's probably really good looking. And tall. And tall. Yeah. And big. Yeah. So love to meet Edong. Yeah. But anyways, he's living his best life, and then he just ends up in heaven. Yes. And, you know, you can imagine this person would be uh, a missionary person who's doing great things for God, and a prophet, too, mm. because he named his son Methuselah, which means when he dies, it shall come. Wow. When Methuselah died, the flood came. The flood came. Um, but also we see here, like, the second, like, half of the verse isn't really explaining what happens in Enoch. Oh, no, sorry, not uh, the second half of the verse, but verse. you've got verse 5 here, which explains Enoch and his story, and then you've got verse 6, which is kind of not really explaining what happened in Enoch's life, but is just giving this kind of underlying principle of, you know, it's impossible to prove God, uh, to please God without faith. Um, anyone who wants to, to come to him must believe he exists, and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Yes. Uh, which I think is a yeah fantastic principle to to live by, and to you know I I just feel as though you know why is it that Enoch was translated? What about all the other good people in history? Like why didn't they get taken to heaven? Like why didn't Daniel get taken to heaven? Like why? Well, you know God had plans for each one of them, uh, but I think specifically in Enoch's life, like he's living in a realm of such evil, and he's just walking with God. And I think that God doesn't just, you know, it's not like handing out VCs or medals of honor or something Mm. like that. Like, okay, I'm going to randomly pick some people here, there and everywhere who've done exceptionally well to take them to heaven. And it's not, God is not setting up a a, a situation in which we can aspire to be like, yeah, I'd like to be translated this week. How can I achieve that? Mm. It would be too easy for our religion to become a religion of works if that was Mm. the case. Because it's like, okay, if I do enough good things, I can be rewarded in this way. Neither Elijah nor Enoch were trying to do enough good things to be rewarded so that they could go to heaven because they never had that expectation. Yeah, totally. And so God doesn't do this, you know, on a semi regular basis because God doesn't want to create that expectation because he doesn't want us to serve him from works or from the wrong Mm. motivation. Mm. Um, God takes a couple of specific people to heaven as examples to us. Mm. An antediluvian, you know, because the world is divided into two histories. Yeah. Before the flood, after the flood. So one from before the flood, one from after the flood, and one from the dead. Epic. And that covers everyone. Mm-hmm. It's all we need. Mm-hmm. Let's read verse 7. Talking about antediluvians, there's two of them in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It was Three by, of them, I oh, should say. Yep. It was uh, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who'd warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received righteousness that comes by faith. Yeah, well, there's probably some places in Australia that they're kind of wishing they built their house <laughs> yeah. like a boat. Floating, yep. Right now, so they could float when the floods came through mm. and they just had to have anchors down and mm. 
put it back on its foundations when it finished. Mm. It's definitely a, just a tragic, tragic situation that we see taking place up in the north of uh, New South Wales and south of Queensland right now where, you know, bombs gone through there. But Okay, but this is a little bit different from Noah because the Bible is very, very clear that there was no rain before the flood. Mm. And if you don't have rain, you don't even have local flooding. Mm. Certainly you've got rivers that are spring-fed. You've got um, lots of moisture that is you know, provided by what the Bible describes as being a heavy juice. You've got plenty of moisture around. Uh, you've got the fountains of the deep, so there's a lot of water that is you know, in, the, in, the, in the rocks. You've got fountain water in the atmosphere, so there's a lot of water around the place. But there's no, there's no flood. Mm. You talk about a flood, I mean, this is a foreign word. Mm. This is something that is like I'm going to cover the world with water. We get that because we see that from time to time. But the population at that time, the rivers have always been the same level, exactly the same level mm. in their banks. Mm. And to go along and say, well, you know, that's going to change. And people are going to say, well, these are the, these are the rules of nature. This is what's observable, testable, mm. repeatable. Uh, we understand how this works. We understand where the water comes from. We understand what regulates it. It's a marvellous system. It's absolutely amazing. Um, we're not going to give any honour to God who created it because that was how the antediluvians became. But what evidence do you have that you know rain could even come, water could come out of the sky or out of, the Bible says, the fountains of the great deep were broken up? Mm. What evidence do you have that God could cover the the world with water. I mean, there'll be a lot of people who say, well, there's simply not enough water to cover the world. Mm. I mean, if you said that right now, there would be a lot of people who say, well, you're never going to cover the whole world with water because look at Mount Everest. You're going to cover that one? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's it's interesting here. Like, if you look at the story of the flood, like, Moses builds the ark. And he, during that, sorry, not Moses, Noah builds the ark. And during that time, he's preaching to the people, the flood's going to come. And their their counter argument to that is that oh, well, what evidence is there of a flood? Like it's never even rained before. Like they don't even know what that is. And so they're like, "There's no way it could flood." But he builds the ark nonetheless. He's preaching to them the whole time. But then you know, and, and so it's not observable to them that there's ever any evidence of that at that time that a flood would come. But then the animals start to get on the ark. That would have to. That would have to. That would really have to get you thinking. Yeah. Because there's no way that Noah and his sons, you know, the four of them, can collect all the species of animals on the world. Yeah. No, they didn't. Like, it's clear that the animals, animals got on the ark. Just got on. There were a number of accompanying signs. Um, and so, like, ultimately I see with uh, the those who didn't get on the ark, the rest of the antediluvian world, like, watching on to Noah, they had this presupposition that there's no way it could rain, there's no way it could flood. And they hold, held on to their presupposition in the face of evidence to their detriment. It's called normalcy bias. Mm. And normalcy bias is what is the kind of thing that controls our mind so that even when we see extraordinary things happen, mm. we don't respond to them. Mm. And so if your normalcy bias is that floods don't exist, if you don't have a word in your language for the word flood because it's never happened before, mm. and, okay, Noah says it's the water's going to be co going to cover the world, and, okay, whatever, he's building this boat a long way from the ocean, once again, whatever. 
your normalcy bias is going to say, yeah, nah, it's not going to happen. And, you know, you can see how it happened in northern Australia with the floods mm. up there. So many people got caught out because of normalcy bias. Nah, it won't come that high. Mm. It did. And then you see the animals going on and their normalcy bias kicks in mm. and they don't follow those animals. Mm. What a tragedy. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back to Faith FM. We're continuing on with the show. Right now it is time for ooh, the 500-point question. Here we go for our prize this morning. What mount saw the deaths of King Saul and his sons in battle? Super sad story, but mm-hmm. where did they all die? Which mountain? If you know, 0491-064-669 is the number to call. You can win our 500-point prize this morning, which is the book, An Endless Falling in Love, What Eternal Life Means to You Now by Ty Gibson. Ty Gibson and I have attended a number of seminars and classes and all kinds of things, kind of working within the Light Bearers Arise uh, framework. And, uh, yeah, no, fantastic book um, about what God has done for us and what it means Right now. Um, but 0491 is the number to call if you want to win that prize. And that question is, what mount saw the deaths of King Saul and his sons in battle? Okay. Let's get back into our Bible study and uh-huh. a couple of text messages here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raphael says, Moses, Elijah, and Enoch, they are examples of Christian living, but Jesus was the perfect example. Amen. You know, if we didn't have the... If we did not have the... Uh, Translation of Elijah, we could possibly be tempted to think that, well, the only people who are being translated are those that, you know, are sinless because there's no sin recorded that Enoch ever did. Mm. But by translating Elijah, it's like, yeah, he did some really big ones. That's right. And they're publicly recorded for Mm. all time. And it shows that God's grace is what provides us with translation, Mm. not our perfection. That's also a really good point that he made. Um, because, check it out, check it out. This is, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. So, obviously, Enoch is a sinner because he was born after Adam, uh, but his sins aren't recorded. Um, and then Moses dies and then uh, and is resurrected from the dead into translation. And then Elijah is translated from life, you know, from he's living and then he's translated up, he's taken up. Jesus did all of those things. He lived sinlessly. He died the death for the penalty, for all sin. And then he was translated whilst living. Like, you know, he was resurrected and then translated. So he was the fulfillment of all three of those examples. Um, showing ultimately that the reason that they could be, that they could have that experience and then that we, you know, in the past, and we can have that experience in the future um, is because of what Christ has done. Which is a, man, my gears are turning right now, which is a really... You know, you're just writing a whole sermon in your yeah, mind. Yeah, which is a really epic example, ultimately, about how all people are saved from all time because of one reason, and that is because Jesus Christ lived and died for them. You know, in terms of, like, dispensationalism... He is the example of each... You know, there are those out there who believe, you know, in, in, in what we call dispensationalism or the idea that people are saved by different things because they lived at different times. No, no, no. They're all same the same way. Jesus is their found, examples. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't get different standards of salvation when mm-hmm. we get to heaven. Nope. Absolutely. I think that's fantastic. Uh, Bruce has mentioned that his favorite is Enoch because Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. And, of course, the number seven has a lot of significance mm. in the Bible, uh, particularly to the final generation, which will also be translated uh, when Jesus comes back. So, yeah, some great uh, connections there. 
And uh, Rafi's just saying, well done, Lawson. Excellent point. Wow, finally some praise. I'm not getting made fun of for not having friends or being dumb. Or something. <laughs> no. Rafi is uh, is one of your major fans. Don't oh, worry. He sends, praise he, the he, Lord. He sends, you some, he sends you encouragement all the time. <laughs> we just like to keep you humble from time to time. That's it's, right. It's, it's, thanks, it's thanks, thanks, friends. <laughs> no worries. All right, anytime, our pleasure. Um, let's get back to our Bible study. We've talked about Noah. We've talked about Enoch. We've talked about all the antediluvians. Mm-hmm. Now we have the big one, and this one is going. Paul is going to spend a lot of time on this one. Who is our next one? It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give to him as his inheritance. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Why does Paul spend more time on Abraham than he does on, say, Noah? Because this is the book of Hebrews. Yes. And he's writing to Abraham's descendants. And Noah's descendants. And Noah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But specifically Abraham's descendants. Because there are non-Abrahamic descendants who live... In this world yes. today, we if are... he was writing to Greeks, he might make a big issue over uh, Abel, Enoch, and Noah because, mm. well, the Greeks or the Australians or whoever it might be, well, we all come from those guys. Are descendants of yeah. uh, Abel and Noah and Enoch, mm-hmm. but he's like, yeah, but your ancestor, yeah, the one that founded your nationality, your faith, your belief, like, yeah. Abraham. Abraham. Let's talk about Abraham mm. because he's writing to Hebrew people. So he's good. So for us who are Gentiles, yep, uh, we just have to deal with it. But uh, we're going to have a lot <laughs> here to do with Abraham and it's going to be good and it's going to be important. It yes. continues oh, on. Now, before we go on, before oh, we go on. Okay, okay, okay. The very first thing it says mm-hmm. and the big issue it makes in Hebrews chapter 11 in relationship to Abraham's faith is based around what? Where is Abraham's faith most well illustrated. Um, it says it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when he called him to leave home. So I guess in his decision to leave his homeland. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. You would think, I mean, if I was writing the book of Hebrews uh, as a Gentile, mm-hmm. I would start with, by faith, Abraham offered up his son Isaac. Mm. That was the greatest act of faith in my mind that Abraham ever did. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Paul doesn't start there? Why do you think he starts with he left his homeland? Because this was, uh, I, I believe, like the, the the initial decision for God that Abraham had made. Yes. Like everything that happened afterward followed from this one big step of faith that Abraham took to forsake his life in Ur, um, to live in the wilderness, to be, you know, a quasi, you know, father of many peoples, kind of a warlord, kind of a leader of militia, kind of a just a really wealthy dude. A Bedouin. A Bedouin, yep. A nomad. A nomad, that's right. Like, this is a huge change in Abraham's life that came from a God that he didn't even know. God, Like, God just spoke to him and was like, leave. Like, I have a plan for your life. And Abraham's like, yeah. And so this is this is massive. This is a huge step. Like, we talk about evidence, you know, and talk about faith and evidence and whatnot. Like, what evidence did Abraham have that, um, you know, God wanted to work in his life? You know, I feel like uh, for many for many Hebrews, like their hero of faith, yes, is Abraham, but also, you know, pointing back to Moses 
the writer of the Torah, you know, and it's talking about God, you know, doing these amazing things and leading him out of Egypt and coming to him in the burning bush, all this stuff. And we're going to focus on Moses a little bit later. Um, but Abraham's just a guy who God shows up to and is like, do this. And Abraham's like, yes. And it's like, man, would I be that willing? To just up and leave. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, you know, let's let's think about what Abraham is doing here. He's moving to the equivalent of the other side of the world. Mm. He's moving from the wealthiest, most advanced, developed city in the world. So this is like Sydney. Mm. Uh, he's moving to an area that is poverty-stricken, that is, you know, very much third world. There are no major cities. You know, you've got Sodom and Gomorrah, which, you know, kind of have the wealth of mm. Ur, but are nothing like the size. I mean, Ur was a massive metropolis. Mm. Uh, you are moving there with no idea what you're going mm. to find when you get there. Yeah, Glen Hugh in Tasmania, that's where he's moving. Yeah, well, promised land. <laughs> um, you are moving to a, a a place where, you know, it's not like you can jump jump on Wikipedia and do a bit of research and like, yeah, that might be all right. Yeah, you can't jump on, like, the, uh, the Australian government's national website and be like, oh, well, you know, what's the risk factor of this one? Yeah. Yeah. Is it red, yellow, or green? Mm. No. You, you can't do any of those things. You just pack up and you start moving, not really knowing where you're going to end up. Mm. You've moved out of the city and become a nomad. Mm. This was a massive act by, of faith by Abraham. We're going to talk more about it tomorrow. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Right now it is time uh, to... Answer, give you guys some clue answers. So, for 100 points, the answer was Gomorrah. For 200 points, Galilee. For 300 points, it was Gethsemane. Uh, for 400 points, Gath. That was the city that was a part of Goliath's name. Gath, Goliath. All the letters are in there. Uh, and finally, for 500, the mountain where King Saul and his sons died in battle was the mountain of Gilboa. Uh, but right now, it is time for... Question of the Day. Right, Lyle, our question of the day today is, are the gates in Nehemiah 2.13 and 8.1 named for their use? The water gate to bring in water and the dung gate to take out sewage? This is a really interesting question that you've got right here. There were 10 gates that uh, were in the walls that Nehemiah built and they had very interesting names. And so what you're going to find is that when Nehemiah gets a commission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, that uh, he gives a lot of detail. You know, he names the families that built the walls. He assigns each family a section of the wall to work on. Uh, these sections, of course, are sections of the wall that are close to where their homes are so that it can work efficiently. And he places 10 gates in the cities. Um, and so you can work your way around through them. Of course, you know, if the sheep gate, for instance, was built by the priests. The priests built that particular gate because this was where the sacrifices would come in. All in all, the walls are about two and a half miles long and enclose an area of about 220 acres. So when you think of a city of 220 acres, it's pretty small compared to, say, Sydney or Melbourne. But anyway, that's how cities were back in the day. Okay, so let's do a quick run through of the names of the gates and how have a look at what they were actually called and why. So on the north side, you had the Sheep Gate. We already mentioned that one. Uh, The reason it was called the Sheep Gate was because this is where the sacrifices for the temple were brought into the city. And by the way, this is the gate by which Jesus entered the city when he was about to be crucified. So that reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus. 
The next one you have on the north side is the Fish Gate. And the reason this one is called the Fish Gate is because it faces the ocean and it faces the highway. It's the end of the highway that goes down to the ocean. And so people who sold fish, they would be coming in by that gate. And it reminds us that we are to be fishers of men. The next one you have on the north side was called the Old Gate. So this one went into the original city of Salem, which became uh, Jerusalem. Of course, Salem was where the high priest Melchizedek uh, is mentioned, and it reminds us that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. The next one you have is the Valley Gate. Now, this is the lowest one. Uh, Right down in the bottom, it's called the... It it leads down into the Tyropoean Valley, And being the lowest gate, it's where Nehemiah started and finished his inspection of the walls. Um, And as leader, it is an example for us as Christians to show humility. The next one is called the Dung Gate. Now, the Dung Gate, this is one that was specifically mentioned, faces the Hinnom Valley and leads down to the rubbish dump. Um, Of course, Jesus described the Hinnom Hinnom Valley uh, or Gehenna as being like hellfire, a place where total cleansing from sin takes place and all sin and sinners is burnt. It's a reminder to us of the great controversy and there's going to be t- come a time when all refuse of sin will be destroyed. Then you have the Watergate. Watergate leads to the Gihon Spring, which was the spring that watered Jerusalem, reminds us that Jesus is the water of life. Of course, you have the Horse Gate. Uh, This went into the palace area because the royalty had horses. This is where the stables were. This is where the barracks were. Reminds us that we are to be soldiers of the cross. Then you have the east gate, of course. The Bible says as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even unto the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So the east gate is there to remind us of the return of Jesus. And finally, we have uh, the muster or the inspection gate which was located in the northernmost section of the wall. Um, it's only found in three other pa- three passages in the Bible, Second Samuel, First uh, Chronicles, and Ezekiel 43. It means, means numbering or mustering, uh, which uh, brings with it the idea of judgment. But this was where the sin offering, the leftovers, was burned. When it was taken outside of the city to be burned, this is where it would be burned. And it's a reminder of judgment. So there are all kinds of spiritual lessons we can learn from the ten gates of the old Jerusalem as well as you know, learning about the geography of it as well and why those gates came to have such interesting names. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM. Uh, a couple of quick text messages there. Somebody wants to have the... Uh, the, the, the question of the day on the gates of Jerusalem. So what we do with our questions of the day, uh, what we have restarted doing recently is putting them on YouTube, and so we will pop that on YouTube for you. Um, and then we had another one here. Uh, did we read this one? Other M- mentioning his home, leaving his homeland. This is Bruce again. Uh, because it shows Abraham's personal relationship with God, wanting to be part of the cities that's builder and maker was of God. Mm. He wasn't worried about living in Ur. <coughs> he was only focused on... The new Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. That's why he was happy to move out and to follow God's calling. And that's how we should be living our lives as well. Amen. All right. What are we giving away to the first caller through today? Have you ever read a part of the Bible and been like, wow, that's super confusing? Or maybe you read another part of the Bible and you were like, wow, that's very contradictory. Or maybe you read a different part of the Bible and you were just like, that is really weird. 
Well, I have a book for you, and it's called Answers to Difficult Bible Texts by Joe Cruz. This is a oh, this fantastic is resource uh, that you can get into. So I can do, you know, it's not necessarily dealing with just weird Bible texts, but really ones of, of, you know, defining doctrine and theology. And it's like, okay, what is this trying to say? Why does this text seem like it's contradicting another text? How does this fit into the narrative of Scripture? What's the deal with the awkward phrasing? 0491-064-669 is the number to call, and you'll get this book completely for free. All you have to do is be the first caller in. So again, that number is 0491-064-669.